Today we have Renal Badillo, a researcher at the UN Caribe Think Tank of the University de Norte Barranquilla, Colombia, which is a research center dedicated to understanding the criminal violence and the armed conflict in Colombia. We are to discuss the criminal organization Clan de Golfo and their activities in Colombia. An update on the episode. At the time of the recording, the Colombian government and the HEC have maintained a ceasefire that has since broken down. The core of the HEC is composed of multiple war fronts who act in different territories. How are the power dynamics played out between these fronts? Is there a national leadership? If yes, who is, the, who is currently in control? Okay, so for this, I think it is important to clarify that we have proposed in the past that in Colombia, right now, there is not a single war but multiple wars in different territories going on. According to this idea, each war is different because there are different organized criminal groups, different interactions between armed groups and different territories for which they are fighting for. So this has been happening in Colombia since the mobilization of the biggest paramilitary group uh, we've had in the country, but it is also the result of the demobilization of the FARC-EP guerrilla group and the territorialization of the, the guerrilla of the ELN. But how is this relevant for the AGC? Well, this implies that even though this armed group is in more than 200 municipalities in the country, its attitude will change according to what other actors are in those territories and what are they looking for in them? So, for instance, the AGC in Southern Bolivar has an illegal pact with the guerrilla of the ELN. So they agreed to share the territory and divide some of the illegal rents, such as drug trafficking, illegal mining. But also those two groups are at war in the, in the Chocó department. So you have they in the Pacific coast uh, fighting over resources, but also they in the Caribbean coast aligned and making a pact so they don't fight each other. So what I, tr I am trying to say here is that even though there is a national leadership and the structure of the national leadership makes them to, to have a political discourse and plan their military responses, at the local level, every front from the AGC has certain autonomy to define how they are going to ally or compete with other armed groups. So yeah, there is a national leadership. It, it was a strong leadership with Otoniel, but after the capture of Otoniel, it, it is maybe slightly less strong, but at the same time, there are a lot of local dynamics that are important to understand what's happening with this armed group all around the country. Subcontracting is something that is new to many people regarding the criminal economy. Can you explain how the HEC uses subcontracting strategically to achieve their goals? Yeah, yeah, that's right, and that is something of the most interesting things about this armed group. This, the result of something that is surprising for a lot of people is that one armed group like this is now in Colombia with all this armed capacity. Uh, after the demobilization of the United Self-Defense Fronts of Colombia, that was like the biggest paramilitary group in, in, our, in our history, a lot of little armed groups established in their territory. So we have like one armed group in Cesar, one armed group in Magdalena, one armed group in the Atlantico, but now the AGC is like in, not in all the country, but in a lot of municipalities. It's like one fifth of the municipalities of the country. So why is that? And our answer is that 
that is the result of an outsourcing network. They are not establishing this military presence in all the territories they they want, but they are establishing these networks of subcontracting. So, for example, in the Department of the Atlantico in the city of Barranquilla, they have hired a lot of organizations or gangs in the city. So these organizations are in charge of attacking the rival organization. So that is something that for, for some groups can be a little risky because you cannot trust in the underworld, you, you cannot trust all the people you are all around. But in this case in particular, they have been enough intelligent in terms of criminal capacity to not only subcontract all, all those organizations, but also they send some some people from the core of the organizations that are in charge of leading the, the structure and the organization there. But with that, they are uh, spending less money because they don't have to mobilize a lot of resources or a lot of people. And, and they are gaining like the insights from people or local criminals that know the territory know how to hide, know how to build relationship with the state. So um, at least in terms of, of a criminal enterprise, if we can call it in that way, this is a, a, a very, very good move because they can have extended presence in all the country, but having the same core of the organization just in the Urawa in Antioquia. So it is more or less like one enterprises that is that is that start contracting people all around the world but they maintain like the core of the people i don't know in united states or in europe so they don't have to move because a lot of other people with the same capabilities are doing what they want to do there so that is like the system they are establishing in in the regions they they make presence in the last year the hcc has carried out two major operations that affected a large part of the country one being an arms strike and the other plant pistola can you explain to our listeners what these instruments of violence are and how the HCC uses them strategically? Yeah, well, about the arm strike, that is something that is not exclusive of the AGC. For example, the Ilian guerrilla group has done a lot of arm strikes in the past, but the armed strikes of the AGC have been a little different because they have paralyzed not only the rural zones in which they are, but also all the regions of the country where they, or, or at least we didn't know they have presence. So what is it? It's a moment in which they decide that everything in a region uh, has to stop. That includes local markets, that includes transportation, that includes even the work of the mayorly. So more or less they are saying when we determine that anyone in this territory can go to work, can go do groceries or can go and do whatever they want to do. We are the authority here, yeah? So uh, we call it like a, a bit of legitimacy that they are putting at risk the legitimacy because if they say, hey, anyone is going out today and tomorrow and people go out, it is like uh, one way to say, okay, you are not achieving what you want and that is the sign of you are weak in this territory. But they have managed, I don't know exactly why, but they have managed to paralyze a lot of regions, and that includes not only rural regions, but also urban regions and big cities. For example, in the last armed strikes, some cities like Monteria or Cincelejo 
were some of the cities that were paralyzed by these operations. So that does mean that they are not only a rural group that you can manage like an older armed group, like when the ELN makes an armed strike, that is something specific for the rural areas in which they are. But when the AGC announce an armed strike, so it's big because you are paralyzing cities, entire cities in, in the country. So the main goal of this moments of violence is precisely to demonstrate certain army capacity. And casually, or not so casually, uh, the army strike has been announced and has taken over after the capture of some of the AGC leaders. So I, I think it's just a, a way to say, hey, we are not dead. We are still an, a strong army group and we are here demonstrating the state and demonstrating our rivals and demonstrating the community that we are the ones who establish some rules here. And about the plan pistola, that is something similar, but it is a specific uh, a moment of general threat to militaries and the police officers. Uh, there are two types of plan pistola. One is a national one, and that is also a response in one moment in which they feel that the Colombian state has done something that they don't consider right, for example, the capture of Otoniel. So they establish a plan pistola and that is we will kill any officer of the police or any military personnel we see in the regions in which we are. And it is hard to measure that because it is right that they have killed a lot of military officers and police officers all around the country when they determine this plan of pistola. But also it is a moment on stability in the country. So any armed group that wants to kill a, a police officer can do it because everyone is going to blame the AGC. So it's weird to determine the responsibilities. But the important thing about both armed strikes and plans pistola is that AGC has managed to not only do it between the core of, of the group, but also subcontracting and doing outsource, outsource outsourcing for the for this particular event. So, for example, in, in the last plan pistola, some gangs in, in cities like Cincelejo denounced that they were contacted by members of the AGC and they told her that, they told them, like, if you kill a, a police officer, you will receive, I don't know, this quantity of money. So it, it is not something that they do, like, military all around the country, but something that they do through the outsourcing of organizations that I mentioned earlier. One of the major differences between the former AUC and today's AGC that you point out in the article is that the AGC is not in its core a counterinsurgency group. What is the relationship like with the FARC and ELN today? And how can it be that in some parts of the country, such as Choco, they engage in heavy fighting with the ELN, while in other parts of the country, such as Boulevard, they cooperate? Okay, that is a big question, and that is something that we are still discussing here in Colombia about, okay, the AGC are or not a paramilitary group. So our answer in the article and in a, in a new article that is going out in some, some weeks is that no, the AGC are not a paramilitary group. And our reason to say that is mainly focused on two specific things. First is that the AGC are not a counterinsurgent group. And that is a big difference with the self, the United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia. Why? Well, 
the AGC has established alliance with the ELN in Southern Bolivar, but also in the past, I am talking about 2014, in Southern Cordoba, there were some relationships between FARC-EP and AGC because they, they had an alliance in this region. So it is not just something that is happening now, but I, I think that maybe from the beginning of the organizations, they determined that they were not going to attack guerrillas or insurgent groups or leftist people, but they were going to protect territories. And that is something that you can evidence in the document that they publish as their constitution document. And they say, we are not a country insurgent group. We are against the Colombian state. And that is my second point. Not only the AGC is not systematically attacking leftist people or leftist armed groups, but they also have not so good relationship with the Colombian state. The biggest military operation in Colombia, Agamemnon II, was taken against the agency. And they have received a lot of hits from the police. The capture of, of the major leader, Otoniel, is one of them. So uh, they don't seem to have like the best relationship with the state and they don't seem to have a discourse protecting the state as the previous army group, paramilitary group have. So they are more like against them and they have attacked the state and the military officers, police, police officers. So I think that it is not right to consider them a paramilitary group just because some of their members come from the, the United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia. I think that to consider a group a paramilitary one, we have to determine that first they have like this good relationship with the state and they are protecting the state in certain occasions. And two, they are against those armed groups that are challenging the state. And that is not happening here in Colombia. Obviously, that is not a way to say that there is no corruption between the military forces or in Colombian police. All the contrary, in some regions, it seems that AGC and police officers and military personnel is work, are working they, together. So that can happen, but it is right that also happens in Mexico with some cartels in Brazil with some gangs, and we, we are not calling all of those cartels paramilitary groups. I think there is a difference because there is not a political discourse uh, supporting those groups. So I think it is a little bit different because uh, these people can have these corruption ties, but that is different from having this structure all designed to support the state in their fight against some army groups in the country. So I think that is the main difference between our past paramilitary groups and now the AUC. The AUC was widely known to have very close ties to the Colombian government and security forces. How is the relationship between the AGC, which emerged out of the AUC, and the state today? Okay, so I, I think that is something that I have to answer uh, going back to the first question. In Colombia, we have a lot of different wars, and in some of those wars, AGC seems to be at war with the Colombian state. So, for example, some months ago, they attacked some military officers in, in Antioquia and also some military officers in southern Cordoba, where they have uh, captured a lot of members of AGC. So I think that in those regions, for example, AGC and the Colombian state doesn't have the best relationship possible. So they are at war and they are fighting over the control of the territory. And that is not just a fight, I mean, with 
captures or those sort of, of things, but military combats I'm talking about. So I don't remember a lot of military combat, for example, in the times of the, the United Self Defense Forces of Colombia. But now we have a lot of examples of military fighting between the militaries and the AGC. So that, that is one thing to say. But we have to move just to Southern Bolivar. And in that territory last year, there were some denounces of corruption between uh, military officers and the AGC, saying that, for example, the military officers that were in charge of making people to eradicate coca were receiving bribes from the AGC to go and patrol along with them. So I think that in Southern Bolivar, maybe we can talk about some local paramilitarization of the AGC, maybe. And in Chocó, there are two, some denounces of people saying that the Colombian state is attacking the ELN just to make the AGC stronger. So you can see that we have so different dynamics uh, in some regions of the country. They seem to have a relationship of even hate or military combat and in other regions, you have this close relationship. So I, I think that to answer those sort of questions, we cannot in Colombia anymore try to answer them at the national level. We have to go uh, region by region and try to understand what is happening there in the local level. And I think best answers are grounded and are uh, from there and not necessarily trying to uh, make an umbrella that can go for all the country. Since Petro proposed a plan for total peace, the organization has shown the willingness to enter peace negotiations and even accept a bilateral ceasefire with the government. How do you evaluate the current situation while also considering the flaws of the previous AUC demobilization? Okay, I think that's a pretty good question because I think that the original plan proposed by the current government in Colombia was a good plan in terms of the premises were good. Like we are going to demobilize most of our armed actors because if we just demobilize one, well, we have the example from the FARC that it is possible some other criminal groups will take over and will start new wars. And okay, we have no peace right now. We have another moment. But I think that even though the premises are good, the way in which this government is implementing the total peace program is not working very well. First, because they have not decided in which category they are going to include the AGC. Problem is that this government, when when this government was the opposition, they were saying all out that the AGC were a paramilitary group. Now that they are in power, that is something difficult to sustain because if AGC is a paramilitary group, then this government has some ties with AGC and that is not not possible in my view. So th that is the first problem, that they consider it a paramilitary group or at the best, just a criminal group. And the AGC doesn't see itself as a criminal group or as a paramilitary group. So they are asking for political recognition. And, and I am not saying that we should give them the political recognition, but I think that we have to listen to her, to, to them and understand what are they trying to say. So the first problem is that they are not listening. They are just deciding that they are going to label, label the, the agency as a criminal group. And that's all. They don't have a choice on that. And I, I think, and that's maybe just my take, and I hope to be wrong about it, but I think that the agency are not going to negotiate if they are not offered more than the criminal status. They are expecting more, and they have told that openly. So I, I think that will be one of the problems. Oh, now, the paradox here is that if the Colombian state 
gives them some political recognition. The guerrilla of the ELN has mentioned that they are going to abandon the, the process. So the conundrum here is that you have AGC that they don't want to be recognized as criminals, but the ELN that is proposing that AGC has to be recognized as, as a criminal group. And the, if they don't, so the ELN is going to go out of the negotiation. So I, I think that is the first big problem. And I don't think that this government has tell enough about it. I, I think it, it is still a pending task to define how they are going to solve this conundrum. And the second and another big problem for the total peace is that this government is still thinking about this as if we have the same conflict that we did have 20 years ago. It was more of a rural conflict. But now, for example, how are we going to demobilize the AGC without demobilizing all of the gangs they are subcontracting and hiring in urban, in cities, in even in rural areas? I think that is a pending task to define is, okay, how the AGC is going to demobilize a lot of gangs that they are not formal part of the of the organization. They, ha they have been hired. And the AGC can say, okay, but that, that is not my problem. Can demobilize my core group. But after that, we still have war in cities and we still have extortion and we still have confinement. And maybe they, they are not so big as the AGC, but they still can produce violence. And the AGC has trained some of them and has given them arms so and big guns and i i don't know how we are going to demobilize all of those ecosystem of farming groups that are not part of the total peace but that they are articulated to the total peace so i i think that right now we don't have answers right now this government has just tried with goodwill to achieve total peace but peace is not just the result of goodwill and i think that to conclude something that is very important to me that this government has not evaluated is that they need a strategy of security and defense to go against those armed groups because it seems until now that this government only had the negotiations to offer and that's good. We need those negotiations, but we still need something to say those groups, hey, if you don't comply with the negotiations, we are going against you and this is what we have. This is our strategy. But at this moment, we don't have a strategy, a security strategy in the country. So I think army groups are acknowledged that and they are taking advantage of the negotiations in some way to strengthen the political positions. And I hope that doesn't happen, but it is a risk, strengthen also their military capabilities. So we have to wait to have a better, a better view of what is happening, what can happen. But for now, I think total peace can be still an initial goodwill program without uh, strategies to, to go and, and have good results. We may be good here. Do you have anything else you would like to say or promote? Um, no, I don't think so. I think this is more or less uh, th those hard discussions we have to we have to establish in the country. I, I know there is still some resistance to these views because there is a, a lot of we have not studied the AGC. We have studied other armed groups. We have a lot of information about the FARC-EP, about the ELN, uh, about the paramilitary groups, but about the AGC, there is maybe so little in, in academic terms. So uh, I am grateful for this space. So I, I think we can start discussing this, these issues with more frequency in the future. Just to mention that this article is part of the Centro de Pensamiento Un Caribe, 
at the Universidad del Norte in Barranquilla proposal of discussing war and organized crime in Colombia in, in local terms and looking at the regions. So if you can follow the the Twitter page or, or the Instagram one, I think that can be good. But aside from that, no, I, I think it is just promoting the article is a lot. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. You can follow Obscuro for more on Twitter at the handle at LatAmObscuro. For support, we've set up a Patreon to help with production costs and future equipment at the link in the description. Thank you to the following Patreon members. Otomeum, Mono, Amiyoyomi, Robert, Otto, Macoons, and Drift. Thank you for listening.